Salty Conversations. Salty Conversations are brought to you by Saltbush, uniting the scattered community. Hello friends and welcome to our Salty Conversation. I'm Reverend Mark Faulkner, one of the Saltbush Scattered Community Ministers. Our guest today is Reverend Daniel Mossfield. Well, welcome, friends, to Salty Conversations, and I'm here today with uh, Daniel Mossfield, who lives in Crookwell and is the Uniting Church Minister here in Crookwell in southern New South Wales. Great to be with you, Daniel. Now, tell us a little bit about Crookwell. Where is Crookwell? So we're on the southern tablelands of New South Wales, no. although we almost border the central tablelands. We sort of sit in between. So we're about a half an hour northwest of Goulburn. Um, and it's a historical uh, potato farming and sheep farming community here. Potatoes? It is. Spuds. So they grow um, seed potatoes that then go out to actual potato farms all over the place and to places like Robertson and so on. So his- historically, Crookle is known for its spud farming and uh, the potato festival happens here in May each year. Well, there you go, the potato festival. And I've noticed that... Well, there's also another sort of farming happening here, wind farming as well. There is. And I think one of the things about Crookwell is it's got a history of innovation. It's always been a community that innovated. So um, if you work in agriculture, you've heard of Crookwell because um, a number of sheep farming um, innovations occurred here. And now our farmers are also exploring take-up of uh, solar and wind energy on their properties as a secondary source of income. Um, and that particularly helps drought-proof them mm. during hard times. Mm. So. so is most of the community sort of, it's not a divisive thing within the community? Most of the community is supportive? No, it's still divisive, but it's not as divisive as it was um, 10 or 20 years ago when the first wind farm went in, and then now we have them going up everywhere. Uh, one of the pieces of work that a fellow I know who's got some of those um, turbines on his property is working on is how does the profits get shared more widely than just the farmer whose land the turbines are on? Yes, of course. So how does this support neighbours as well? And then also um, what is the feedback into the local community and, and the investment in local community? So that's been a big thing here. So we're in conversations. A charity I'm on the board of locally is in conversations with a local wind farm about helping fund scholarships for students from the local area to go and study engineering at university so they can come back and work on the turbines and have local employment. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So that, I imagine there are places where one farm is pitted against another depending on who ends up with turbines and, and a steady stream of income versus the neighbour who might end up with none. Yes, and that, and that historically was the problem, was that the farmer whose land the turbines was on got everything and the neighbours got nothing, whereas now they're looking at a... Um, decreasing dividend kind of thing as the further away you get from the turbines but that everybody gets something yeah um, which helps get more community buy-in yes well that's that's wonderful to hear that's a great uh, initiative and i notice here in crookwell the uniting church sits right in the main street almost in the center of the main street it's like one of the it's got a front to the main street um that's quite accessible uh, so what's it like being the minister here in crookwell in this smaller country town with the church in in the centre of the, the street? Um, it's visibility in a way that you don't get in suburban ministry. Um, and 
we're trying to take advantage of that and we're trying to think about what does it mean to be the church on the main street. So mm. we've named a new mission statement for ourselves at Crook Hall, mm. which is witnessing to God's love for the world from the main street to the pack. Right. That's great. That's where yeah. we are and we know that's where we are and that's our call. So um, we work ecumenically here in Crook Hall. We're really lucky. There's a Catholic church and an Anglican church that we work yep. really well with, yeah. but we try and use our different um, strengths and one of our strengths is location. So uh, last year at Christmas, there was a big push to have late night shopping one night on the main street and yeah. create a bit of a festival at, at, um, atmosphere on the main street. And so we invited members of the three churches to come and sit out the front of our place and sing carols yeah, for, great. for the evening as people went up yeah. and down the main drag. So and how did that go? It went really well. It was hot. It was very, yeah. very hot. Um, and obviously, we won't be doing it this year with no. COVID restrictions. But no, it was well received and it just added something um in the commercialization of christmas it added something uh transcendent yeah which was special yeah that's right so you you you're a younger minister this is your really your first it's my first, first ordained, ordained placement. placement yes that's right and you've got a young family you're in this um uh, smaller rural town what is the passion and the 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 drive and the and the sense of belonging or call or whatever word you use around around that to have you in in this place at this time and and how do you feel that that is um, being a, a minister within a small country town? Um, the attraction for me of the bush is community uh, and belonging. So those words like why do I belong to it? Well, because it's a place of belonging. Um, we, I grew up in Western Sydney. Um, I've spent time ministering in, well, Queendian. We won't call it Canberra because that'll upset Queendian. Um, the advantage of a country town is that community is already a way of life, where in other places in our culture, individualism has become the norm. Yeah. And there's still some resistance to it here. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, is attractive. So even though um, there are parts of uh, living in the bush that are, tougher uh, for us as a family, um, one of those being that I'm probably more politically uh, progressive than yeah. most of my congregation here. The trade-off is that we get genuine community where we all turn up for each other irrespective of those differences. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to be able to bottle that and sell that to the wider church. Um, yes. Because... It makes a real difference um, to be able to walk up the main street. I do most of my pastoral care shopping at IGA. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Going for bread, I've got to allow an hour, you know. But um, there's something really special and countercultural about that active community that still happens in a country town. Yeah, and you've got to, and that's choice, isn't it? You've got to choose that and actually remind yourself of that. Uh, in ways and times, and even in the church, we talk about success and drive and and uh, large and numbers, and uh, and it seeps into who we are and what we hear. So, really, to choose ministry that is sort of outside the 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 drive and the focus is is, as I say, a choice. And you have to remind yourself, I imagine, from time to time, about what it is that that draws you to, to a placement like Crookwell. Yeah, and particularly because we live in a culture that says bigger is better. Um, 
because of, and I know we're going to talk about it a bit later, but because of the pressures of the secular age, yeah. um, one of the things it says is that you've got to be a big institution to matter, um, that little doesn't matter, and that ministers of small congregations don't matter. Um, but it actually does matter, and it matters incredibly. Um, the gospel works here in a different kind of way and it, um, through those interpersonal relationships. So I really, yeah, I really appreciate that part of it and, and the sense of belonging here. Crookwell is a really interesting case study in it because we're just close enough to Sydney yeah. and to Canberra. So we're about uh, two hours from here to Campbelltown, yep. two and a half hours to sort of Parramatta or more central locations in Sydney. And we are having quite big growth here at the moment. So Golden, which is our big regional centre, has a huge housing boom going on. It's on the railway line to Canberra and to Sydney. So lots of people going in there but still working up in Sydney. Yeah. And, and others are pushing out here to Crookwall, um, particularly from areas like Camden. Yes. That used to look like this. And there's a real cross pressure happening in the in the community here at the moment between how do we grow well? How much do we want to grow? How much growth is sustainable mm. without losing those things that make us community and know each other? Yes. Um, and that's a real tension point in the local community and a space I want the church to be speaking into more and modelling more for others. Yes, that's, that's right. And holding on to that sense of community is, is not always easy. And, um, you know, part of the, part of the work of Saltbush in my own ministry is exactly as you said to, value, encourage and connect, uh, irrespective of location or numbers where there are uniting Christian communities gathering and say, well, it does matter. Uh, We all matter and we're all part of the church and that Christian community together. Um, So, you know, you're starting out in your ministry journey um, and as you say, this is your first ordained placement. I've been in a number of different placements uh, and I can sort of see the other end of that that uh, journey unfolding uh, for me in the decade ahead. Um, what I'm wondering, you know, what does the future of ministry look like in uh, a place where the church is constantly being told it's in decline and... Um, is really struggling in in many ways within community and society. Um, uh, And, you know, what does that mean for ministers or people who say and want to live out and express the gospel as um, leaders within the life of the church? I mean, it's not great for employment prospects. Um, one of the things I've reconciled with is that there's every chance there won't be stipended ministry, or at least not in its traditional form. So I'm probably going to have to get good at doing something else as well (laughs) at some point. Um, I should work on that. Uh, But I think think that by becoming smaller, we talk about being smaller as a weakness, and I think it's actually time to own it as a strength. There are things that small congregations can do that bigger communities cannot do. Um, knowing your neighbour by name, entering into deep contemplative spaces and times, um, making promises and vows to one another about how we're going to live in this space are things that you can't do in bigger places. Um, I think we're in a one in 500 year shift in the life of the church. Mm. 
Um, I think COVID's been really interesting. I've described it as apocalyptic, not in the sense of end of the world, but in the sense that it's an unveiling mm. of what was already true. Mm. So none of the declines, the financial situations, the, the pressures we're going to find ourselves in from COVID are new. They've just been accelerated. Yes. Um, so I find that really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was born in the, this period in the church. I've grown up in this period in the church. I've never known a time where we were at the centre of society. It's mm. never been my story. Um, so for me, there's a sense of wanting to embrace this and go, well, thank God. Um, now we can get back with the business of being the church. Now we're done with trying to run how everybody else does things. Yes, that's um, right. So, and the other part of it, I think, with the Reformation is we don't know what that looks like on its other side. Um, the Uniting Church is being made to own its own language of being a pilgrim people. Yeah. Um, we, we've liked flagging that for the last 40 years, but now we actually have to live it. Um and we've got to trust that God's somewhere in the midst of the unfolding, which I don't think we're actually very good at. The trusting, yes. No. Or I, being in the chaos. Well, the both. And I think um, so Charles Taylor uh, has done this major philosophical work called A Secular Age, which everyone's now trying to unpack and figure out what it means. Yeah. So just don't tell me who Charles Taylor so is. So Charles Taylor is a Canadian Catholic philosopher. Yeah. Um, I've heard him described by one person as he's the first philosopher writing in the 21st century that will still be read in the 22nd century. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's written this major work called A Secular Age. It's like a tome that uh, you've got to slog through to make sense of it. But lots of people have, and you can read them instead, which is <laughs> really helpful. Yeah. Um, but he looks at sort of what's happened to the church and society over the last 500 years since mm. the Protestant Reformation, and yep. he maps out the big picture of where we are. And there's lots of details in that, but one of the things he speaks about, which is really relevant, I think, is um, that we're caught in something called the imminent frame, so that we live at a time now where even church-going people fundamentally doubt God's existence. Right. We don't like admitting it. No. <laughs> um, but we, we fundamentally doubt that there is something transcendent, that there is something beyond us. Um, our whole society, including the church, operates in this imminent frame where we, the imminent, that which we can touch and see and feel immediately around us, is where we live and yeah. breathe. Yeah. That we don't really believe that God breaks in anymore. And so even those of us who believe in God tend to have consigned God to heaven yeah. or to the past, God's given us this book of rules, or um, but we don't really trust a living, dancing God that comes and disrupts us. No. Um, and that shows in the church because we worry about imminent things. So we worry about how many bums are on seats. Yeah. That's an imminent concern. Yeah. We worry about how much money we have. Mm. That's an imminent concern. We worry about being big so we can affect society and politics and structure because those are imminent. Yes. Because um, we're not really sure that there's anything more than that. No. And humans believe what they can touch and see. And, we're you know, we're very much like that, even in the unfolding of science over the over the centuries, um, you know, there's huge areas of doubt when we can't act, when someone proposes something and we don't actually see it. Yeah. And um, 
So that, that sort of takes me into to this question, which is sort of long, but I'm just wondering, you know, where does the church sit in our secular Australian society um, where really we, as you were saying, you know, we really like to believe what we can touch. We're shaped very much by the media and business or companies, way more than, than by government or the church used to be, or even relationship. And we, I would suggest that we actually have lost something of how we articulate meaning as well. Yes. So, you know, and, and we have this huge individualism now. So, you know, what is the place of the church in, in, in this, uh, in this society, in Australian society in which we, find ourselves not an easy question no um no but let me try and answer it in a word (laughs) and then not explain it at all no um i think relationship at the end of the day uh so i would strongly recommend to people that they read a couple of books by andrew root who is a lutheran uh american lutheran scholar who um has a background as a youth worker and he's written a couple of books about Charles Taylor's stuff about where we are right now. Um, so they're called Faith Formation in the Secular Age and The Pastor in a Secular Age. Okay. And there's another one coming out next year. Right. Um, they're really helpful introduction. And when you read them, you go, oh, yes, that's what's happening. This yeah. is where we are. So that's Andrew Root. Andrew Root. R-O-O-T. Yes. Um, so one of the things they point that Andrew Root points out and engaging with Charles Taylor's stuff is that because of this loss of meaning seemingly that's happened, this loss of transcendence, we live in a culture that has forgotten how to talk about deeper things and and spiritual things and things of depth and meaning, but which yearns for it more than ever. Yes. That people are now longing for these conversations more than ever, but in a place where when they have these experiences, they doubt them because where could you possibly talk about this without being ridiculed? Yes, yes. Um, there is nowhere safe to have these conversations. It feels foolish to talk about. As ministers, we're really useless evangelists because most of our sense of um, what God's doing is God called us to ministry and that's where we knew God. <laughs> we're not very good at talking to other people's <laughs> stories for that reason. But it's this, that we're called to relationships with people and to give them safe spaces to be able to share those moments um, those deep transcendent moments where something broke in beyond what was apparent. Yes. And where there's nowhere else for them to discuss it. Yes. Um, without judgment, without bringing our predefined notions to bear, we can offer our stories, we can offer our tradition, but we offer it after hearing the story of the other and seeing where it touches our own stories. Yeah. So the, for the church that has been so focused on worship and and the right way of doing that, and uh, you know, people will will argue about that intensely. The reality for the Christian church, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that within our communities there are people who long for relationship and to talk about faith and life in a safe gathering space and yet the is it true to say that the church is so focused on other things that it's struggling to just 
move to that space where it can actually open itself to be that place to explore faith and life together. I think so. And I think because, so I think it's ironic. Some of those debates about worship, etc., I think are worth having, but I think we have them over imminent things. We have them over what songs we play. We have them over what style of worship we're going to have. Those are imminent yeah. issues. We don't, we don't have conversations about what God is doing because we don't actually sort of trust God to turn up. So my particular project, my passion is around preaching. So I live in this weird cross moment where I find myself called to preaching and yet find myself living in a church in an age which finds preaching increasingly irrelevant. Yeah. So I'm living yeah. in this cross pressure of the moment. What I've come to realize is we don't actually do much preaching in the United Church. We do lots of motivational talks mm. and lectures, good biblical exegesis, mm. good teaching, but there's not a lot of preaching. And for me, the distinction is preaching points to what God is doing and it dares to make a statement about this is what we see the transcendent as. Yes. And if you look at a lot of our sermons, they don't end there. They end with what we have to do. Yes. What, what the response needs to be. Which is, but but almost before the gospel, yeah. We 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 start with the response and we end with the response, and we there's sometimes a question of what are we responding to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because it's imminent, because we can control it. It it feels safe. It feels within our bounds. The problem with talking about these transcendent moments and letting other people's stories into the space is we can't control that. No, and that's really scary. Yeah, it requires a letting go of the church. And people want to talk. People my age are deeply, so I'm in my 20s, are deeply passionate about talking about faith. Yes. None of them think the church is the space to do that. No, that and how ironic is that, you know? Yeah. Um, because the church, in their eyes, is more interested in preserving its status and power in community than listening. Yes. And it's interesting how society is actually holding up its expectations to the church now rather than the church actually speaking into society and um so that sort of goes to my comment that really people do want to talk about faith and life mm. you know that what is where is their meaning uh, and yet what the church is predominantly offering is not the space that's safe or desired um to to explore those questions yeah and so a really good example that andrew gives is he talks about so the imminent frame, the age we live in, the secular age, reduces everything to its its um, material value. A tree is only useful to us because we can cut it down and make furniture out of it or mm. use it for firewood. Mm. It ceases to have intrinsic value. Mm. Um, mm. People cease to have value in society other than how much they earn. And so we get narratives about dole bludgers because obviously if you're not earning a mozza for the economy, you're not valuable. Um so this is the, what we live in. It reduces everything to its material value. And he said, but if you follow the logic through to its conclusion, he said, when you hold a new baby, you've had a new baby, you hold the baby, you say, well, this is a nice collection of atoms. <laughs> That's the logic. This is a collection of atoms. Yeah. This has no value beyond its material value. But none of us who are parents holding our child for the first time went this is a lovely collection of atoms or this will make a nice no. worker one day in the system. No. All of us went, I'm in love. Yeah. And I don't know why. Mm. Because the transcendent broke in, though we tried to stop it. Yes. And 
does. God continues to break in in those stories and those moments in ways that we hate because we can't control them. They're not logical or rational, um, but they happen. And people want to talk about them. People want to process them. People want to share them. And they need to feel like the church is a space they can do that. Well, Daniel, that's uh, a very challenging conversation for us to have. And I hope that people will listen to this and actually ponder what we've talked about, perhaps read some of the books you've suggested, and then even crack those conversations open with other people around them as well. Uh, it is a, a an interesting, exciting, challenging time uh, for the church. And I would say it's actually something that God is doing as well in terms of really shape, reshaping uh, the church towards a, um, a, a relational, a spirit life, um, uh, freer from the structures and the institution and the organisation that we've become. Yeah. And look, if, my, if I had a final word on it, it would be if we are people who genuinely believe in resurrection then we've got to stop being afraid for the church to die. Daniel, great to talk with you here in Crookwell today. And thanks to all our listeners who have joined us for Salty Conversations brought to you by Saltbush, uh, uniting the scattered community. Further podcasts are available at saltbushcommunity.uca.org.au. Bye for now.